Welcome to the 30th episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. My name is Stefan and I'm part of the technical support and marketing team of Active Motif. This episode is a special one in a sense that we are not focusing on a specific topic, but rather on the science community itself. The guests for this episode are Christine Coconita and Melvin Noe Gonzalez, organizers of the Fragile Nucleosome Seminar Series. And I'm happy to talk to you now. Thank you, Christine and Melvin, for joining me today. Um, usually I introduce our guests, but this time I would like to take, uh, or I would like you to give you the opportunity to introduce yourselves. Um, maybe Christina, you can go first. Or Christine. Sure. I think it's oh, Christine, yeah. right? It is. That's fine. I go. I, I answer to anything that starts with Chris. <laughs> so, but yeah, my name is Christine Cucinata. I am a postdoc researcher in Toshi Tsukiyama's lab at Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. I um, did my PhD with Dr. Karen Arndt in University of Pittsburgh, and I've been really involved in chromatin and transcription for, for a very long time, um, since the beginning of my PhD, and um, uh, just kind of keep uh, going with everything there. I'm very interested in how, right now I'm working on how we go from a global off state in transcription to a global on state, and where like 60 to 70 percent of the genome gets transcribed within minutes. And I'm looking at how chromatin controls that. And um, but outside of that, um, I think we will hear more about um, the online presence of everything. So I'll let Melvin go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so my name is Melvin Jesus Noe Gonzalez. I'm a postdoctoral fellow in the laboratory of uh, Dr. Jasper Zvestrup. And we're currently at the Francis Crick Institute in London, but we're going to soon be relocated to the University of Copenhagen. So actually, this, may, this is my last week here in London and moving out soon. Um, so currently, I'm working on, on the mechanisms of transcription. So we're really interested in transcription and chromatin. And our laboratory, it's actually pretty funny because I can use some of the similar words that Christine using, but then instead of going from an off-state to an non-state, we're doing the opposite. We're going from an on-state of transcription and then seeing what happens um, after external stimuli. And in our case, our model is UV. So what happens after UV to cells? Cells go through this um, short transcriptional shutdown that just pretty much just stops everything, uh, all the processes in the cell. We're trying to see what happens that in that damage, damage gets repaired, then the cells restart. So all of those different processes, we have different people investigating all these things. Um, yep. Oh, that's DNA damage, right? So, yep, DNA damage. And I'm continuing from transcription, which is something that I also did in my PhD, uh, which I did at the Star Wars Institute in Kansas City, Missouri, in the U.S., with Joan and Ron Conaway. So, um, this is a special episode, um, because we will not talk so much about your science, but nevertheless, I want to keep one element of the podcast uh, or the podcast I usually do. So a question I like to ask every guest, so this includes you, <laughs> to start off the podcast is how did you become interested in biology in the first place um, and then going to science or to careers in science? Maybe Melvin, you start first this time. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, for me, I think there are two sets or two pieces of the origin story. I mean, one's, one is during my childhood. I think that I have always been asking too many questions and my mom and my dad were always very busy 
And, you know, in Latin America, they just started running with so many jobs and I'm just there being a bother and asking so many things. And I was always told like, oh, you know, I don't know, I don't know, check it with a book, check it with a book. And since very early on, I think that my parents were trying to get rid of me for a little bit. And instead, I just found some refugee in books and then just trying to really learn and seek answers for many of the things that I was looking for. So I think that that really helped me just to get a sense of what it felt to have a question and then how to go about it in answering. And then the second part of the story is that I actually was going to be a medical doctor because that was the only way to be a study any kind of genetics in Mexico. But I, I failed my biology class when I was in high school. I just had a, I don't know what with the equivalent, just completely failed the class. And then I was told that I had to, to just get better with that, I had to do a presentation on transcription. And I had to do a presentation on what are the amino acids and what are the ribosomes and all those things. And I was like, well, that's, that's very weird and interesting. And since then, I, I just found it very fascinating. Christine? Yeah, so um, I'm actually one of the, I guess, lucky people where my father is a scientist. Um, and so I kind of grew up around him always talking about science. And um, he is a bit different. He studies how astronauts get cancer due to radiation effects in space. So growing up, I was always asking, like, when are we going to Mars? And he would always be like, well, there's a lot of problems when we want to go, if we want to go to Mars because of the radiation. I'm like, little kid, I'm like, glazed over. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> but then over time, <laughs> over time, I, you know, I got really interested in, you know, just talking with my dad about science and, um, you know, about, he, he was a physicist in, by training, but he became a biophysicist later in life. So um, he actually kind of understands the biology um, too. And so we would just kind of discuss and he brought me, he would bring like us to some conferences as like family vacations and so I got exposed to like scientists um there very very like specific way I think I don't know I don't know if I would have been a scientist um without that I I, I have a lot of other interests too actually um <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of happened serendipitously um I think when I was applying for college, I wanted to be a musician, like playing a classical flute. Um, and then uh, I decided to go into science because I thought it would be easier to quit science and go back into music than the other way around. Now that I'm older and wiser, I don't think that would be the case either. But um, I just kind of fell in love with research as well. Um, I worked on splicing in my undergrad and um, using yeast as a model organism again still um, back then. And yeah, I don't know. I just and then I remember sitting in genetics class in college, hearing about the histone code back in the day. That was still, I think, pretty new. Um, and I was just really excited because it was like this is something that's not in the DNA. It's actually on top of the DNA, and like um, the environment can impact gene expression, and that's how we get like our eye cells versus our nose cells, even though the DNA is the same. And I just got super excited about, from that. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come to the, the main topic, um, Christine, when I go to your Twitter account, I see a pinned tweet there and I just read it out. Um, so the fragile nucleosome discord is reaching 1000 members. Who knew a single tweet could start something so wonderful? Thanks to everyone in the community and especially co-organizers. So that indicates that 
this was maybe not well thought through, right? <laughs> so, but rather a spontaneous idea. So how did this all start? So we're talking about the Fragile Nucleosome Seminar Series and Discord channel. Yeah, so it kind of started back in March when the COVID crisis was really developing in the United States um, and around other countries too. And so the Twitter, like, community started talking more and more about COVID and, you know, working from home and, oh my gosh, are we going to be quarantined? You know, we were all like very stressed out about what was happening, still are. Um, but the thing that I was realizing was like, we were kind of missing out on our, like our old, like tweet storms about new chromatin papers coming out. And um, it was hard to really like stay focused on like our chromatin research uh, so I just tweeted, I was asking people, like, would you like to join a Discord server on Chromatin uh, so that we can, like, maintain our Chromatin chatter on Twitter that we would have on Twitter, but move it over to this other place where we do not talk about COVID very much to help us have, like, an escape. And that's kind of how it started. I think the first day it was, like, 30 people, maybe. And then, yeah, over time, it just grew. Um yeah, I, I, Melvin, do you want to chime in? Like, why did you join? Actually, I'm curious. Yeah, that, was, that was my next question. Uh, oh. I mean, how, how did you join the party? Because now it's not like just you, Christine, but the whole organizing team. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. I mean, as one of the important aspects that Christine mentioned is that back in March, I mean, obviously everything just was inundated with coronavirus, COVID 19, what's happening, what's happening with the shutdown in every single country. So, really just trying to add a drop in a bucket of talking about science or manuscripts or any of that just felt a little bit like it didn't fit and it was also just lost into so many of the other conversations and i think so many people were still just not only in shock but also worried about okay how is this going to be i miss the lab or i miss interacting with some other people because i mean many of us i mean a lot of the interactions that we have are in the lab so so that's that's how a lot of this has started and i think from here with all the different interactions and because Twitter already allowed that um, interaction between scientists to be so cordial. I mean, there are so many people that I've talked to that I have never met in real life. Like it, it, it's really fascinating. So I think a lot of that just tra transversed into Discord and said, hey, you know, like there's this PI, I've never met him. I've read his papers, but he's saying, okay, you know what, let's go ahead and start a seminar. Would you be okay if I do that? And he volunteered, he was the first one and then we're like, okay, how do we go about this? Like, what happens next? You know, like, I've, I've, I've attended talks, I've invited people to speak, but usually there's somebody else's infrastructure to have people invited, and they just tell you, like, okay, you know, you just need to do the introduction. But now here, the tables were turned, right? Here, we were supposed to be doing everything. Not only the invitation, but the administrative part and the promotion, and then finding the speakers, and then making sure uh, everybody had a really good opportunity and a really good time. So it has been very interesting. And I think that I was recruited uh, because suddenly this worldwide um, commotion of everybody trying to join in, I think probably they realized that they, we needed more people from different time zones. So I remember that when I was first approached, they asked me if I wanted to be part of the, the I think it was the European, the, the European counterpart of this <laughs> commit, committee in the Fragile Nucleosome. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I remember specifically, I, I, I was just sitting down at home, planning some of these things uh, with, with my wife. 
And she and I told them, you know what? Yeah, maybe I can help with maybe one or two seminars. I can help with anything I, I, I want because nobody knew what was going to happen. And then this this was seven months ago or six months ago, <laughs> and we're still here. <laughs> so, so who is also part of the organizing committee? Yeah, so um, Vladimir Teif, who is a lecturer at University of Essex, he is actually the only PI on our team. Um, so he kind of helps us a lot with our um, with the things that we just don't know a whole lot about because we're still postdocs and um, actually everyone else is a postdoc. Um, and Vlad is the one, um, I think we'll get to this later, that he maintains this website um, so we can talk more about that. Um, Hanukkah Vleming is uh, another organizer. Uh, she is a postdoc in Dr. Karen Edelman's lab and um, so is uh, Ben Martin. He's also a postdoc in Karen Edelman's lab. And um, we also have Prabhuta Rahman, who is in Harmeet Malik's lab, and she's also at Fred Hutch. So we have two West Coast people in the United States. We have two East Coast people on the United, in the United States. And then we have two people in Europe. Actually, you guys are both in the UK for now. Yeah, well, I mean, um, at the time, we weren't voting in the UK. Well, I mean, we're still voting in the UK. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, we are missing several time zones, but this does help um, a lot, uh, especially when we had a special seminar at 3 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, we had Melvin and Vlad, um, and uh, when we, we hosted Hitoshi Kuru Misaka, it was very early, but thankfully we had some people in a later time zone to help out with that. <laughs> So uh, the seminars were not the plan initially, uh, when I get this correct, right? So you had the Discord channel, and how did this then arise that you also wanted to have seminars? Yeah, so Melvin kind of alluded to that earlier. Um, Hitain Madani, who is a professor at UCSF, he he joined the server very early. It was actually really cool. Um, and um, actually, I remember his introduction, too, because he was like, I'm a PI at UCSF, <laughs> where a lot of us were like postdocs, I'm in so-and-so's lab, blah, blah, blah. So that was kind of cool. And then he was like, so are you guys doing any seminars yet? I'd be happy to give a talk. And um, we were very delighted by this um, because he's a leader in the field and does amazing research. So we were really excited about that. And um, yeah, he volunteered and he was just like, here's when I'm available And um, we had his seminar on April 1st, and um, Hanukkah actually was like, so are we going to make this a weekly thing? And I was like, you know what? You can do that. Let's get a committee. And then that's um, how we roped in our friends <laughs> to help. Uh, and thank you, Melvin, for staying on for so much longer than intended. <laughs> um, we're really lucky to have uh, such a – we have, like – Uh, six different nationalities on our team. So that I think is really cool. We have different perspectives from everyone. And um, I think that helps a lot too when we're asking speakers to present. Um, yeah, and then um, I think I asked Toshi, my advisor, to speak the following week because we had to like hurry up and find someone. I think it was like within one week I asked him or I asked him to present uh, and he Thankfully agreed. <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to do that with anyone else. So thanks, Toshi. <laughs> yeah, man. Now, now that I think about this a little bit, I mean, it it was really 
a matter of being at the right place and at the right time. Because if we hadn't had the opportunity to just get one seminar speaker invited one after another, I think it would have been a lot harder just to get the ball rolling. But because we got we had hidden and then we have Toshi, and then we also coincided with all the PIs suddenly having free schedules, you know, because nobody was knowing what was happening. Nobody like calendars suddenly are opening up because all the meetings are canceled. So you have like Carolyn Luger, like Professor Carolyn Luger, she's saying like, oh yeah, sure, uh, willing to participate. Suddenly these people that it's really hard to get in touch with and then just invite them for a talk, suddenly they're available. And that was just so happening because we were saying, okay, let's try to invite some people. I mean, it's, it's hard to get speakers, but I mean, to get two speakers every week is, is like a real challenge, right? I mean, but you did it like since April and now it's September. You got like two speakers every week when I'm correct. So this is, I mean, this is impressive. Yeah, that started in June, um, the two speaker part. Okay. Um, uh, it was kind of raised that we weren't really asking, getting many trainees to present. And we, we kind of had like a bit of a crossroads with that um, because we want to give trainees and young PIs um, platforms to present their research and promote their work. Um, but we also wanted to give opportunities for people who normally can't see leaders in the field like Carolyn Luger, <clears throat> Susan Gasser, and Hitin Madani um, speak. So we, we kind of had to like balance that. And so I think um, Pravruta had the idea to have two speakers per week where we ask a trainee to give like kind of an opener presentation for the PI. And we try really hard to match topics. I think yesterday's topic with um, Siavash Kurdistani and Kelsey Lynch was a really great match. Um, And, you know, that brings in a lot of good questions with the Q&A and everything. So we try to be cognizant of that. Um, but it is certainly a challenge. <laughs> I think for um, yesterday's, uh, the most recent seminar with Kelsey and Siavash, we actually, like, I reached out to Kelsey asking her specifically, like, hey, would you like to present? I think your story would fit really well with this seminar. So there are quite a few layers that add in a lot of difficulty. <laughs> um, but I mean, it seems to kind of fall into place. Uh, I don't know, what do you think, Melvin? <laughs> I mean, I think that it's it's important to, to mention that it was a really good idea to have bigger PIs at the beginning because it really helped us to gain momentum. But once we realized that we could have continued this, I mean, it also, it, it added that we had the online community in Discord because that allowed us to also interact with them outside of the seminars. I mean, because if this was just a seminar thing and we're not interacting with other people, I don't know if, we, if the idea of changing to trainees would have come as easily. But because we interact with them and see the questions that are happening and see the ideas that are continuously happening after the seminar, we thought, you know, well, this has already attracted so much attention that it's probably a really good idea to just not become another one of these institutional seminars that all of us were privileged enough to have our own institution and instead give the platform to people that normally don't get the chance to talk. And as Christine mentioned, I mean, it, it wasn't an easy decision. I mean, it, it wasn't easy because we had to make the conscious decision that we were going to take a hit um, how many people were visiting. Because I mean, many people were saying like big names and saying, oh, I want to go to that. I want to go into that. But we decided, you know, even if, the, even if it means like we're going to have the, half the number of people attending, we're also doing something that we really believe in and we're giving a platform for people that really want to speak. 
So even though that happened, I mean, there are, there are definitely fewer people attending our seminars. We do have a really good core of people that are joining every week. And I think that just makes it worth it. I mean, you know, you, you have 100, 100 and something people coming every week because they really want to be there. They support the same ideas that we have. And they just want to see um, other trainees like them just talking about their, their presentations. So I think that in the end, it just turned out to be um, a really good idea. And we're really happy with that. So it seems that this is, at the one hand, uh, a lot of work. And on the other hand, it seems that, I mean, the Discord channel, the, the online meeting platforms, it's not like for free, right? I mean, the Discord channel might be, but I don't know when they implement some, some, some uh, yeah, some fees for that um but how do you stay independent i mean you, you don't have any sponsors you're not associated to any universities how do you manage uh, to stay independent we uh, just do it i guess i mean it's a <laughs> hobby now i mean <laughs> i th i think you know this is definitely like a s it's It, it's something we all, I think, I, I think I can chime in, of course, Melvin, but I think I can speak to, like, for the, all of the organizers that this is something we really believe in, which is what Melvin mentioned earlier, too. So, like, we, we, because I mean, I think part of it is, like, we, we're investing our time to make the community better. We're making, like, more friendly, more inclusive. So, we feel, I think we feel, like, okay to do all of this work, but, I mean, it would be nice if we needed to like expand, like I know discord has special features that you can get um, by paying to like boost the server. Like we could add like more like video options there um, if we were to grow and um, we're not opposed to getting sponsorships, but we just haven't needed them yet um, as well. So um, yeah, we'll, I think we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but um, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I If it, just like Christine said, it, it just happened because we wanted to and we, we, we didn't see any barriers. You know, I mean, we were not saying, ah, oh, you know, what I'm saying, it's part of my institution or part of my lab. No, these were really just a bunch of us scientists that we were interested in getting together. Everybody had already downloaded Zoom by the time these studies, they had, they had already some idea on how to use this and then they just had to join in. I mean, it, it was a lot easier because at least for me, I was able to just um, move my time better and then just plan my day to still have some work from home, getting on the computer, doing some writing, and then just for me that I'm on the later time zone, just focus on the seminar. So, so that was really helpful. I mean, again, I don't know if I would have been as easily agreeable to participate in this if I had been working in the lab 24-7. But I mean, I, working from home, I, th I think was perfect. And now here, now that I'm back in the lab full time, I'm still allowed, because I, again, I really like putting my time in this and it's not an insignificant amount of time. I, I really um, want to plan every Wednesday, you know, I need to do these experiments and then I need to be at home or in a place where I can just talk with the audience or with the seminars and attend for that. And I think so far it has worked. I haven't been able to miss a single one of the seminar series so far. That's um, so the fragile nucleus was, uh, was like a Twitter thing, an internet thing. But up until now, it's just a hashtag and there is no like Twitter account for the Fragile Nucleus. So why? <laughs> yeah, so we, I, we did make one, but we haven't used it. Um, okay. I don't really know why. I mean, part of it is like, I don't know, we're, we're, we're we all, I guess we kind of, I don't know. I think my idea of it is like, 
we're, we're still like people behind it. And I think we kind of like the idea that we're all like kind of underdogs in this, like we're trainees and a very new PI. Um, so it's kind of cool having it be more personal at some, in some cases, but yeah, I mean, we could make a Twitter, we could u- utilize that Twitter account more or at all in the first place. We don't even have like, like we have a email address and a YouTube channel called Fragile Nucleosome, which I think is a good place to compile everything. But yeah, that is something we could think about. <laughs> okay, I, mean, I, like, I like the idea of just having the names behind the accounts, you know, that it makes it much more easily approachable to, to anybody just send us a message. Yeah. Say, you know, like, you're the one posting about it, just shoot a message back. It's, it's fine. It just makes it a little bit more easier especially if you're joining for the first time, I think. So who came up with this great name? I mean, it's, it's really a great name. <laughs> I did. So, uh, yeah, so I, so one of the things I'm working on actually is like detecting fragile nucleosomes in quiescent yeast cells and how those impact exit from quiescence. And so there were a couple reasons why I named it that one the major personal reason was I was sitting there looking at my MNA seq data, wondering whether or not there was a fragile nucleosome there. And that I, during this pandemic, and I was like thinking, like, does this really matter when there's a pandemic? Like, who, but then, like, who cares? But then at the same time, I was like, wait, there are people who care too. And it's the chromatin community. Um, and so I also named it this because. Uh, fragile nucleosomes are important for stress responses and this is a very stressful time and I kind of thought we might not need the fragile nucleosome community forever because I was thinking we would go back to normal after the pandemic so I was thinking this could be there when we need it and it can go away when we don't need it anymore um, but I think we are here to stay um, I think um, I think we're we've established a community and a lot of people are like a lot of people said that they would like to you know stay on after the pandemic so i think i think we are fragile no more <laughs> yeah, the, the, the question is whether there will be a going back to normal i mean there will be a time after the pandemic but how this looks like this still needs to be seen so how, how do you select the speakers do you have like a generous scope how do you approach them i mean just sending emails oftentimes uh, pis or, or the big names don't read emails uh, how do you get the people to join yeah no of course i mean we i mean at the beginning all of us have had the opportunity to interact with many fantastic pis in our field i mean again we're all part of these fields so we know some of the names and we've seen them at conferences so we just came up with a list of just people like oh you know this will be a great speaker she gave a a great presentation or I've heard them speak before. So I think that's how initially we came up with it. Obviously we had the volunteers, uh, Toshi and, um, and Heath. And, but we also, it was just like, you know, I heard this person speak before, she's great, let's invite her. Or she's great with trainees or she's great with questions. Just from personal experience. And then it slowly evolved into this now, the, the two part, the, the two speaker um, format. And we wanted to have more trainees. And to do that, we not only find somebody that we think the job, the, the work is interesting, but we also have made forms that we then uh, publish in our Discord um, community. And then we ask them because we always reach out first to our community, to the people that interact with us. We're, they're always the first ones to hear about 
anything new or any new idea. And we ask them, hey, you know, if there's anybody that has something, anything that they want to share with us, we're creating this new space. Please get in touch with us, fill out a form, tell us which dates you're available, and then we will contact you. And it's, and it's been very interesting because, I mean, we've had a lot of trainees. Like, a lot of trainees are very excited to reach in. I mean, we've had one or two PIs, but it's mostly been trainees. And I think what has evolved from that is that we just get a sense of their topic. Like, you know, they're working with evolution or they're working with mouse stem cells, cell sorting, something like that, some kind of general topic. And then we, as the organizers, we try to find PI names that could fit in with the same topic. So as Christine mentioned earlier, we try to have a common, um, a common topic for a common theme for the day. So I think that's a little bit of the general approach that we use. And it's still focusing on chromatin transcription or what would you say is the broader, I mean, everything with a nucleosome basically probably. <laughs> yeah, I would say everything with the nucleosome is a good, a good um, summary. Um, we're definitely open to other ideas. Um, I think we have a talk later in the series about um, enhancer regions and how they affect evolution and development in the fly. So that'll be more about like enhancer sequences, I think. So um, we'll have a bit, a, a few differences. Um, we, we, we do try to add variety to bring, to help um, bring it open up the community too, to bring in new members to add more um, diversity in our thought processes. Um, but yeah, I would say most of our talks are heavily chromatin based um, and we are trying to add more transcription um, talks as well, but um, we are quite biased with our organizers, like where, who our organizers are. I think one thing also is we're very basic science heavy and um, not as many translational talks. So we are trying to branch out on that as well. And I think actually getting our volunteers is helping with that because we have um, a couple of volunteer trainees who are doing more translational work. And so to that end, we're actually reaching out to some PIs who do um, like cancer research and how chromatin is um, impacting that. So we're, we're, we're thankful for our volunteers to like open our minds as well. <laughs> so from the, uh, what I've seen in the Discord channel is that there are a lot of new ideas how you can grow the Discord channel and how you can make more use of it. And there's also something that you started a mentoring program. Um, Can you t say more about that? Sure. Um, so we we just started implementing it, so it's very new. Um, basically, we have a sign-up sheet where we have people who can sign up to be mentors and then people who can sign up to be mentees. And then the group that will be um, kind of moderating this is going, we're going to basically pair mentors and mentees and then um, set up meetings and so that they, they can get just like some informal mentoring, like you're um, like from a train, a very early stage to a later stage. So like associate professors might need mentoring as well. So we even have like some full professors who signed up to mentor with like 37 years of experience as a PI. And so they can actually give mentorship to mid-career um, and later career PIs as well. So it's not just, we're, we're trying to expand that just so that we can have like a go-to place, like go-to person to ask questions. Um, 
And yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, this is very new for us. Um, it's kind of stemming from our overall goal of making science more inclusive. Um, people who may not always have like mentor, um, mentors that they can ask questions to, this is hopefully giving more, um, more of that opportunity there. Um, yeah, we were ch chatting about that before the interview, but uh, where can we find further information on this uh, Discord channel, on the seminar series? Uh, this is only available on Twitter. I mean, you can read the Twitter thread and search for the hashtag Fragile Nucleosome without being on Twitter, but is there any other um, platform that you can... I mean, yeah, no, I, I think that that was also one of the things that was really helpful at the beginning to just really get the ball rolling for the Fragile Nucleosome. I mean, uh, so Vlad Tief, so the, the professor at Essex, he has been running this fantastic gene regulation website for many years. I mean, and, and even before the pandemic, I mean, that was one of the sites that I always knew that I could count on just to go and check the conferences or things that were happening that were of interest for me, like transcription and chromatin. And he was one of the first people that reached out and said, hey, you know, do you want some help? And he has been fundamental to just setting up everything we need. Uh, it turned out that he was actually able to host and everything that um, that we needed for these seminars. I mean, the gene regulation. So that's the website. So it's generegulation.org. And he has a, also a Twitter account with the same, so it's at generegulation. And so everything is hosted in this website. He has other cool relevant resources, such as a calendar of conferences and virtual events, as I mentioned. And then it also has some fellowships. So the fellowships have been very important. And, and I think... So some of the work that he does is on nucleus and positioning. So he also has a hosting uh, for the databases that his lab has created for nucleus and positioning and then the different um, uh, resources that anybody needs for that. So he's, he's been very, very open sharing everything with that. Yeah, that's, that's great. I will put all the information in the, in the show notes. So how, how do you want to move forward now? I mean, I've seen on the website that you have plans for the rest of the year, basically. So um, there are seminars for the next five to six weeks um, already set up. Um, but uh, yeah, do you want to then stop at the end of the year or um, do you plan to just move on and have this until you find no more speakers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, we actually have surveyed the Discord community about whether or not they would have interest in continuing to attend the talks and uh, after the pandemic. And we had a pretty overwhelming positive response that they would like to see the seminars continue. We've also had people just individually tell us, this is great, please keep this going. Um, and so we'll give the people what they want. <laughs> um, we will continue seminars um, for as long as we have people interested and um, speakers. We are, I will mention though, that given that five out of six of us are kind of in this like liminal transitional period of being postdocs, you know, we don't know who will still be on like in the future um, in terms of organizing. We would, well, I kind of envision like maybe passing the torch to other postdocs and grad students um, to help keep this going. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to keep, keep uh, whether or not it'll be weekly or every other week or once a month, we'll have to revisit that in 2021. Um, we are thinking of doing um, like a short two-day or one-day symposium in December instead of weekly seminars so that we can um, take into account people taking holidays and things. Um, but 
yeah, we're we're hoping that um, people will still be interested even in the post-pandemic era because uh, I think we've given a lot of opportunities to people who normally can't see certain speakers. I mean, I think even one person during Carolyn Luger's Q&A, she started her question or her, her question saying, I can't believe I'm asking you a question. And that was pretty like stunning and amazing to hear. Um, and actually the same person is very heavily involved in um, fragile nucleosome work now too. And, um, you know, I think it's opened up a lot of community um, uh, belonging. So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the community has grown a lot. It has taken a, a momentum that we did not even imagine. I mean, this is, we, we are very, we're very much running, or I'm very much involved with the seminars, but there's these other avenues that are also growing and just came from the same uh, virtual community. I mean, Christine mentioned the mentorship network, but I mean, there's also another group of people that are running a journal club. So they do something every two weeks where they invite this very novel method of doing a journal club where they have an invited speaker that presents a paper that they choose and then they have breakout rooms and then they can interact with each other and discuss with the figures. And then everybody just joins in the end and then has one big discussion about the paper. I mean, obviously this just stems from what they wanted to do. I'm not involved because I mean, this is just their, their own thing and it's gonna continue growing into something that they want. So I think the question of when this will end, I mean, it's, it's such a moving parts question, you know. The seminars may dwindle down a bit, but then other things are growing more. We also have the diversity uh, network just to, um, to have a, a better understanding of what's happening and to train, um, train us as better scientists to notice that. And I mean, we'll just continue, as Christine mentioned, as, as, long as, as long as we want to. And if there's some turnover, then that's also to be expected. And I will be happy, I mean, to just get people that have been joining or that have been accompanying us since the very beginning to just now start taking our roles because they already know how this works. And if they have the same mentality and they follow the same ideology, I mean, I think they'll do great too. And I mean, I mean, this is maybe far-fetched, but uh, pre-pandemic times, you wouldn't think that maybe meeting all those people in real life uh, would be possible, right? So just independent people from all over the world independently organized uh, meeting but uh, now i think that this could really well happen aside someday it just hey let's meet up and uh, just discuss science without like anyone being the sponsor but just by by yourselves yeah. absolutely this could be um this could be great so do you want to add anything did i forget to ask something or did we cover everything that <laughs> that is uh, associated with uh, the fragile nucleus I mean, I think that you mentioned uh, many things. I, I just wanted, so I, I have one big thing that I needed to do today. And then that was to just be, uh, to just help to remind people that we're all, we're all a team working on this, but I need to just help everybody realize that this is not because of Christine. And my role here was to help so she doesn't downplay her role. I mean, this all started with her leadership. She's the one that came up with the idea. She's the one that started the server. And we then were recruited just to help out with some auxiliary roles, but she's been the driving force of just not only helping with the seminars, but everything that it's been involved with the community. So if anybody uh, deserves the recognition, it's her. Even if she says that she doesn't and it's all a team, it's true, it's a team, but it all started from somebody. Somebody, needs to, get, <laughs> somebody needs to get the ball rolling, right? So. Well, I mean, it's helpful. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, 
great having such amazing people to work with. So I think, I think that helps. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, then, uh, I think that it speaks a lot of, you know, everybody, we're all willing to help. We all want to do something, but it takes, it takes a really special kind of person to say, Hey, I'm going to be the first one to do it. Even if it fails, even if we don't know who's going to join, we don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to start it. And then I'm going to see who joins. And then not everybody's willing to do that. <laughs> That's where everybody has ideas. And if you can just contribute to your ideas to another idea, then something great happens, right? So I think that's what happened. So thank you, Christina and Mervin, for your time. And uh, I'm looking forward to many more seminars. Thanks, Stefan. This was the 30th episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We are happy to receive your feedback on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. We will read all of your reviews and comments and give you a shout out on a future episode. If you have any further questions, you can also reach me at podcast.activemotif.com. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog, motivations at activemotif.com slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.